JRuby is a polished and stable Ruby implementation built upon the Java Virtual Machine. Now I'm not much of a Java guy myself, but I think JRuby has a lot to offer whether you use Java frequently or not. In this episode, I'll show you the basics of setting up JRuby and focus on some areas where it differs from Ruby MRI. Well, let's get started. One option is to download and install it through the package provided on the site. However, my preference is to install it through some kind of Ruby environment manager, such as RVM or RubyEnv. I'll use RubyEnv here with RubyEnv install, and then JRuby, let's do version 1.7.0 preview 2. All right, so that's installed. So this is the most recent release at the time of this recording, but a newer version might be out by the time you watch this. Next, I'll switch to that version for uh, this shell, JRuby 7.0 Preview 2. Now let me check the version of Ruby here just to make sure it switched correctly, and it did. And uh, depending on your installation setup, you might need to prefix Ruby-based commands with J to make sure that they're using JRuby. Uh, same with IRB. But in my specific installation here, that isn't necessary. It will use a JRuby each time. So let's do some experimenting here in IRB to see what sets JRuby apart. Now I can run Ruby commands just as if I'm in MRI193, and for the most part I won't notice much difference. However, one of the biggest changes is that I have access to the entire world of Java and the many libraries it provides. The key to unlocking this is this line right here, Require Java. This allows me to access various Java classes, let's say a hash map. I'll instantiate a new one here. And we can uh, put a value into here, let's say uh, set bar to foo, and then uh, get that value back out. Now in core classes like this, JRuby provides some convenience methods beyond what is provided by the Java interface. You can see here we can access uh, values similar to how we would a hash in Ruby. We could even iterate over it and much more, even though this is a basic hash map in Java. Now let me show you another example that's quite a bit more interesting, and that is Swing. This allows you to create a graphical user interface. So let me open up a option pane here and tell it to uh, show a message dialog, and let's say hello world inside of it. And there we go, there's that dialog. So we can create full featured UIs with this. Not all that useful in a Rails app, but really handy if you're creating administrative scripts or something. Now JRuby gives us an alternative way to access this which closer matches a Ruby style. And we can access the class through a Java namespace and then provide the package, so that is Java X swing, and then the class name J option pane. And then the show message dialog method, we can call it through underscores instead of using camel case. So show message dialog, and then let's try this out, passing it hello. And there's that same dialog box, just in a different code style. Now let me show you a fuller example of what's possible with Swing. I'll create a new file here, let's call it swing.rb. Now I'm just going to paste some code into here, but let me walk you through it. I'm calling require Java at the top like we did in IRB to give us access to Swing. And notice I'm calling Java import to uh, import various classes uh, so we don't have to always go through the package when we need to access them. This way we can access the classes directly throughout the rest of the script. And also notice I'm creating a new class called Hello World and inheriting from JFrame, which is a Java class. So that's pretty cool. You're able to create a Ruby class that inherits from a Java class. So this will end up creating a window in my interface, and here I set the size and a few other properties, and I also create a new button and add it to the window. So this has the title of say hello, and when the button gets clicked, this block will be triggered. So I think in Java you would use like an anonymous function or something, but here in Ruby we can conveniently use a block when that button gets clicked. And here I'll just show a message dialog, and then we open up the window, and 
uh, I instantiate the class here. So let's try running this through the Ruby command. Again, you might need to use the JRuby command on other installs. So it's called swing.rb. And that opens up this window with a button called say hello. Clicking on it shows that message dialog. It works. Now having such a great bridge between Ruby and Java can be quite useful, but me as a Rails developer who rarely uses Java, I don't find much need for it. However, what really interests me about JRuby is its improved support for concurrency with threads. Let me give you an example of what I mean by making a new Ruby script here. Now I'm just going to paste in the code for this script. Uh, this includes a simple Fibonacci method, which will just give us something to calculate. And I'm going to trigger this method five times, each in a separate thread. And so this is just going to grab the Fibonacci number for 32, which will take a little while. And after all of those threads are done processing, I'm just going to print out the total time it took to run. So let's run this on JRuby and see how well it works. So I'll pass that script in to the Ruby command, and this takes about a half a second to process. Now let's see how this compares to Ruby MRI. I'll switch to 193. And then running that same script again, uh, this time it takes a considerable longer period of time. So that took about three and a half seconds. That's nearly seven times longer than when I ran the script in JRuby. Now the main reason for this slowdown is due to the global interpreter lock. I recommend you check out this article by Matt A. Minetti who goes into further detail than what I'll be covering here. Basically, the global interpreter lock prevents this Fibonacci sequence to be fully run concurrently on the separate threads. Now if you have a multi-core machine like I do here, this time difference will be really noticeable. However, what if you're not constantly processing Ruby? Perhaps you're waiting on the database or the file system. In most of those cases, the global interpreter lock will be lifted. So uh, let's simulate this with a sleep call. So I'll just sleep for half a second here. And now when I run the same script in Ruby MRI, you can see it only took a half a second because the lock is not set when we're just sleeping. Now let's say you're building a multi-threaded Rails application and you're wondering how performance might change if you switch to JRuby due to this concurrency difference. Well, that'll depend greatly upon how much time your Rails app spends accessing the database versus executing the Ruby code, and also how many cores are on the machine. Now, of course, there are many other things you should consider when comparing performance, but in general, if you're setting up a multi-threaded Rails app in production under MRI, you'll probably still want to set up uh, separate processes running the Rails app to take full advantage of concurrency, whereas in JRuby, you can handle everything all in a single process. Now, I'm going to finish up this episode by showing you how to make a Rails application compatible with JRuby. First, I'll switch over to uh, JRuby, and then I'm going to install Rails and make sure we have the latest version. So with that installed, I'll generate a new Rails app. Now the Rails generator is quite smart and it will automatically make it compatible with JRuby if we make a new app while running JRuby. There we go, now let's open it up and take a look. Now the key differences are inside of the gem file. The first one is right here. Instead of having a simple SQLite3 gem, we have this active record JDBC SQLite3 adapter gem. Now JDBC stands for Java Database Connectivity and is a standard way for Java to communicate with a database. And so this gem takes advantage of that and adapts ActiveRecord to using JDBC. Now it's important to understand that some gems are incompatible with JRuby because they rely on C extensions. The SQLite3 gem is one of them. We can see this if we try to install the SQLite3 gem. Uh, once it gets to trying to compile uh, the native C extension, then it's going to run in some problems and it's going to give us an error. There it is. Now there are some ways to get around this problem, but it's really best to look for an alternative gem that is compatible with JRuby. 
The JRuby wiki has a nice page on C extension alternatives, which is a good place to go if you're using a gem which has a C extension and are looking for an alternative option. And several gems are listed here. Also, check out the JRuby lint gem. This provides a command which you can run in your project to see if there are any incompatibilities with JRuby. This doesn't check everything, but it does include a look for C extensions and a few other things. Going back to our Rails app, the next gem mentioned here is JRuby OpenSSL, which emulates uh, Ruby's native OpenSSL library. And then the only other gem that's added here, especially for JRuby, is the Ruby Rhino, which is used to execute JavaScript. So if you're converting an existing Rails app over to JRuby, add in these three gems to make it compatible. And from here, you can just continue working on your Rails application like you normally would. I'll generate some scaffolding here for an article just to give an example. And then I'll migrate the database. And then I'll start it up. Now visiting localhost port 3000 slash articles takes us to the scaffolding page where everything works as we expect. Now you may notice that loading in the entire Rails application in JRuby can take quite a while. You can see this took about 32 seconds to execute this Rails runner command. In general, JRuby is much slower at loading code initially, but is quite fast once it's loaded in. If you're struggling with this, you may want to consider making your application compatible with both MRI and JRuby, so that way you can occasionally use MRI in development when you're frequently needing to load the application. You can accomplish this by going to your gem file and adding a call to platform to only load certain gems for a given Ruby implementation. So we can pass in JRuby here in a block, and this way those gems will not be used when you're using MRI in your application. So let's pass in a group to assets for the Ruby Rhino gem here, and then clear it out as well. Oh, and then it's also necessary to add a platform for just plain Ruby, and let's add the SQLite 3 gem into there. Now if I switch over to Ruby uh, MRI193, and then run the bundle command to install the gems, and then starting up the server, our Rails application will work with both MRI and JRuby. We can see that by reloading this page, and it works fine. If you do this, it's a good idea to have a comprehensive test suite so you can ensure it works in both JRuby and MRI. Well, that's it for this episode on the basics of JRuby. Thanks for watching. In the pro episode this week, I covered deploying a JRuby application using Trinidad. There I show how to set up a Capistrano recipe for automated deployment, along with some of the various configuration options. To watch that episode and gain access to all previous pro and revised episodes, visit railscast.com pro, and you can sign up there for just $9 per month.